Oh, good morning, everybody. Let's dive into the Word. Uh, turn with me to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. The, we're going to go through a number of scriptures today, actually, God willing. Uh, so, I don't know, this might be kind of like having coffee with Dave today. I'm just going to take you through a bunch of scriptures. It might be a little different than normal. If you can't follow with me all the scriptures We'll throw them up on the PowerPoint slide, God willing as well. <laughs> They're awesome. I'm just saying, I don't, know if, if, I don't know. We'll find out how awesome I am. But can we take the Bible? Can we make, a, can we make that declaration? I'm totally throwing a, I always do this to them. I need to, I need to, I'll, I'm, I repent, Dorothy. Thank you. Take our, let's take our Bibles. If you don't have one, you can still make this declaration because you're going to hear the word, but uh, let's declare this to the Lord. This is my Bible. It is God speaking to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do, and I can have what it says I can have. So I open my heart today to hear God speak a word that will change my life forever. Amen. Lord, you've given me a word for your people. I ask that you would help them to receive it, understand it, and apply it. And um, Lord, I I just... uh, all these scriptures that we're going to look at, Lord, I pray you just bring it out uh, and, 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 and hit us with it, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So yeah, I've got something from the Lord for us today as we're learning to make disciples. Make disciples. We're learning how to build redemptive friendships with other people who may or may not know the Lord. Now, I mean, eternal redemptive friendships. When we talk about making disciples, we're talking about getting into people's lives that they could be at any place on the spiritual spectrum, okay? It could be a, a brother or sister in the church here that you're going to pour your life into. Some, one of the mottos I came up with for my life when I was 17, and I don't use it as much now, but I still kind of, it still burns in me, is I used to say as a new Christian, I want, if they know him, I want to help people to know him more or better, and if they don't know him, that they would know him. That, that's discipleship. It's building friendships, relationships with people that are redemptive, that bring people closer to the Lord, either into a relationship with him or further on in their relationship with him, and that it's, the, it's eternal, redemptive friendships, friendships where we make an impact in people. That's really what we're talking about here, and so we've been learning how to do this. And really, the last few weeks, God has been giving us his heart for people, hasn't he? I, I know you're, I'm not the only one. God has been tell, giving us a framework. He's been showing us that we need to go and reach the least and the little and the lost. He's been showing us what it means to take care of orphans and widows in their distress. He's been showing us. And you say, well, well how do I bring that down to my, my life? What do I do? We've basically said, here's what God is saying. Bless people. Bless them. Add strength to them. Add value to them. Serve them. It could be a stranger. It could be a coworker. It could be a roommate. It could be your friend. It could be family members. That a few people every week, just every week, you say, Lord, that I would be a blessing to at least a few people this week. It could be a homeless person you give food to and then say, hey, come to our community meal every Monday night at 5 p.m. It could be, it could be somebody, it could be you getting a, a jacket for somebody with the, with the lonely hanger. See, doesn't it look lonely? Right? You don't want it to be lonely. Come on, guys. Right? So don't forget. Bring your jackets and blankets and sleeping bags and beanies and all that. So we, 
we want to be a people that receive and give. And I, it's, I'm telling you, skill number one, skill number one, if we'll just open our mouths and pray for people throughout the week by name for them to come to know the Lord, just bless them in prayer, but then also find ways to tangibly serve people, bless them, meet their needs as they arise. Coworker, it looks like they're not doing so good. How are you doing? Let's go to lunch and listen to them. Give them your attention. Give them your, your listening ear. This is what the Lord's been saying. What I want to talk to you about today is I want to begin to give you some, this today and in the next number of weeks, skills, practical things that you can do. And today I, I want to address this issue of friendship. And so let's look at this verse here. I just feel like the Lord needs to give us a, a little bit of a framework from the scriptures on some of these things. So verse 11, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12 This is what Peter says to the disciples. He says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God on the day he visits us, or the day of his visitation. See, in relation to God, we're the beloved. We're loved, aren't we? In relation to God, our identity is sons and daughters of the King. Amen? We're loved. We've been bought by the blood of Jesus. All of our sin is forgiven, and we live in the Father's house. That's our identity in relation to God. But in relation to this world, we're salt, we're light, we're yeast, servants. We need to know our identity, amen church? We need to know who we are and we need to understand that in relation to God, we are sons and daughters of the King. Loved, but in relation to this world, we are a drink offering poured out for the sake of others. We are a sacrifice. We are here not for our sake, but for others' sake. Amen? We've got to understand that we've been adopted by the Father. We live in the Father's house, but He has enlisted us into the family business, an army of love, to partner with Him in a search and rescue mission to go find other sons and daughters of God that He wants to adopt through Jesus Christ. Yeah? We do not exist for ourselves here on this earth. We are pilgrims, aliens. That's not referring to extraterrestrials and to people who wear hats with buckles on them who sailed across the ocean, right? That's referring to people whose home is not here. It's a metaphor, isn't it? To say we are citizens of heaven. We are already born again. We already have eternal life. Our sins are already forgiven. Our eternity is already secure. Amen? This is not our home. We are living for something so much greater, aren't we? We have Already been, we have already received access into a kingdom that can never fa- uh, perish, will never be destroyed. And yet we're living in a world where economies go up and down, cultural values go 
whew, sideways, right? There's sin, there's brokenness, there's distortion and deception, and we live in this world, but we are not, as we like to say, of this world, are we? This is not our home. This is not our home. And so what Peter is saying is, beloved, right? you are the beloved. You have a hope in Jesus. You are living for something far greater. You're citizens of heaven. And yet you're walking through this life as sojourners, people who are on a journey, pilgrims, people who have not found their home yet, strangers to this world. In relation to God, we're the beloved. In relation to this world, we are servants. We exist for others. And that's the call to make disciples. To go into their world and to bless and to serve and to love and to lead them to the Lord. Notice what he says here. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Do you see what he does is he calls you and I to say no to things that he calls fleshly lusts. Sinful or selfish desires that would be inside of us. He says, he says, church, he says, you need to say no to that. You say you need to say no to those selfish desires that are warring against you and trying to bring you into bondage. He said, why does he say that? Why does he say that? Now, a lot of times when we talk about holiness in the church, we talk about holiness, we think it, holiness is a matter of things we don't do, and it, it does include that, but we often don't realize that holiness is actually something we do do. It's actually more than something we do, it's something we become. Holiness really just means becoming like Jesus. God in the Bible will say, be holy for I am holy. The word holy simply means set apart, separate, different, other than. It's referring to the fact that God is different. That he thinks differently, he loves differently, he acts differently, he talks differently, he's not like us. Even if you were to say, well, I'm patient and God's patient, well, his patience is holy. We might have a tiny bit of patience, but his patience is infinite, right? So it doesn't matter what attribute you're talking about with God, he is utterly different. Now, of course, we can never be holy in the sense that he's like infinite and eternal and all that fun stuff, right? But in terms of that which we were created to be like him, in the way that he made us to look like him, we're called to be holy as he's holy. So all that it means when God says, be holy, for I'm holy, he's calling us to be like him. So holiness is far more than saying no to certain sins. It means saying yes to the character of Christ and embracing that lifestyle. And a lot of times, we think of holiness because of that word separation. We think a lot of times in terms of separating ourselves from the culture, separating ourselves from the sin of our culture, separating ourselves from the values of our culture, because it means separation. And a lot of times, this call to be in the world, but not of the world, creates a tension, doesn't it? Any Christ follower 
who has embraced the call to live a holy life, set apart, saying no to fleshly lusts, and yet believes, every, every Christ follower who says, man, I'm called to be holy, but I'm called also to make disciples, lives in a tension. So for example, let me, let, me, let me illustrate this. I think you guys know what I'm talking about, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says this in verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Something like that. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you should be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. See, Jesus didn't die to deliver us from holiness. Amen? He died and gave us his grace so we could become holy, so we could become like him. And he wants us to walk in such a way that in relation to him, we fear God. What does that mean? It means that we desire to please him. We respect him. We honor him. We say, your ways are right. It means that if dad says, don't, do, don't touch that, you don't touch it. And if dad says that he's going to keep a promise, that means he's going to keep a promise. The fear of the Lord means I'm going to live in such a way in relation to God that I walk in holiness. But you say, now wait a minute, how is it that I'm supposed to make disciples, how am I supposed to build these redemptive eternal friendships when the scriptures say clearly to be holy and there's verses like in 2 Corinthians 14 through 7, 1 like we just looked at that say, verse 17, come out from among them and be separate. There's this tension in holiness. Do, do, I, do I separate myself from people who are not believers? Or do I go in and engage them in friendship and relationship? I'm telling you, any Christ follower who is trying to walk in holiness and yet be a light or be a witness is going to experience this tension. Maybe you've already experienced this tension. Maybe on one, maybe you've said, I mean, they asked me to go get drinks at the bar. Do I go to get drinks at the bar? What do I do? Maybe it's, it's other areas where these tensions have come into play in your life. But what decision do I make? Now, a lot of times, the tension, we give way to the tension in two ways a lot of times in the Christian world. On one hand, because we don't like tension, and we don't like to feel uncomfortable, in some ways, there's a trend among Christians that the longer we're Christ followers, the less and less and less relationships we have with non-believers. It's somewhat of a trend, simply sociologically speaking, because you're hanging out with Christians, you're going to church, and we just slowly begin to have less and less and less friendships with those who are not Christ followers. Sometimes it's simply not something you're doing intentionally, 
But it happens because, again, we don't like to feel awkward. And so sometimes just to avoid feeling awkward, feeling uncomfortable, or because we exude a bit of an uncomfortable or awkward feeling sometimes towards non-believers, there just becomes this relational distance. It's kind of like, we're just not going to hang out together. Maybe neighbors, you know, a neighbor asks you, hey, come over to my party at my house. We're going to have a keg and all this stuff. Do you go or do you not go? And sometimes just because that's like not your scene, you just don't go. And so what happens is there becomes a distance between you and your neighbors, for example. What do you do? There's this tension. Do I separate or do I engage? How do I do this? So sometimes there tends to be that we have less and less and less friendships with those who are not Christ followers or who are not in our church. Sometimes it's just because we can only handle so many friendships. Sometimes it's because, honestly, we just would rather be comfortable. I'd, I'd, I'd just rather go hang out with these people, not these people. There's another way that some of us handle the tension, though. Others, because they don't like that tension, will give in and compromise. Maybe because of a fear of what people think, maybe a desire to be cool, you know, fit in. We'll begin to compromise things that the Scriptures tell us not to do. And so sometimes the way we deal with the tension is by simply embracing things that are not holy. And other times, we, we pull away from people who aren't believers. <clears throat> but notice what he says in 1 Peter. I'll go back to 1 Peter and show you this. Notice that he says, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Those are two commands. He says, Beloved, I'm talking to you as people who you're not home yet. I'm talking to you as sons and daughters of the Most High God. He loves you. We were called to live holy as He is holy. I'm talking to you who are called to live a different way, to talk different, to love different, to think different, because he's called you to be like him. And he says to these Christians, just as I'm saying to you now, do not give in to fleshly lusts which war against your soul and live among the Gentiles, meaning pagan idol worshipers who are living in sin. Those are two commands. Peter brings up the tension right here and leaves it there. I want you to say no to sin that would be pulling you away from God and cause you not to look like Jesus. We're talking about things where you, you would not look like Jesus anymore. He says you need to say no to that. And yet he says that in the context of people living among Gentiles, people who are not Christ followers. He's saying, and notice the two things. He says, abstain from fleshly lusts, which is the, is the negative thing to say no to. 
The things that are not good, he says no to them. And yet he says, having your conduct just simply means your lifestyle, what you say, what you do, how you act, how you treat people. He says, have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Honorable just means good. Do good works. Do the good things that God has called you to do. He says to do both. Peter is inviting us into attention. Attention that the scriptures don't seem to struggle with as much as us we do in our Western culture. Jesus did not struggle with this. Yes? Paul did not struggle with this. I'll show you in a minute. He actually taught Christ followers how to live in this tension. But we seem to struggle with it. Why? Partly because it's a skill we need to learn. Partly we just need to understand what this tension is and wrestle with it. Are we supposed to say no to sin? Are we supposed to push away from the cultural influences that would lead us away from Jesus and actually cause us to not look like Him, bring destruction in our own life and not bring blessing to others? Yes. But are we supposed to live among those who are not Christ followers and do good and be light in darkness? Yes. Holiness in the Scriptures was never relational separation. Holiness is a call to moral separation and relational connection. Catch that? Holiness is about who you are. In fact, let's take this even further. If we're holy like He is holy, if we're like Jesus, if holiness is simply to be like Jesus, was He not friend of sinner? So wouldn't that include, wouldn't that be included in holiness? Loving people who are far from God is holiness. We have so often defined holiness as what we don't do, or we've only defined holiness as purity, that we've not understood that the call to be holy as He is holy is to love my neighbor, my enemy, to bless those who curse me, Do you know that's true even in the Old Testament? We don't have time. To, I don't have time to walk you through the whole Old Testament. But there will be commandments in the, whole, in the Old Testament that say, for you to take care of the stranger, meaning they're a non-Israelite in that context, for, for, I, for I am the Lord God, be holy as I am holy. The phrase, be holy as I am holy, is linked to all the commandments that you find in the Scriptures. Commandments both to say no to idolatry and sexual morality and covetedness and also commands to do good and act justly and walk humbly with our God. Holiness is not moral separation. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Holiness is moral separation, but it's not relational separation. First Peter, Peter is telling us a biblical principle to be holy among them. That's what it means to be holy. To be holy in the midst of a world that's not holy and have our holiness transform the people and the situations and the workplaces and the neighborhoods around us. 
Amen? That's what it means to be salt. I don't even need to go to that scripture. Jesus said, you're the salt of the world. If a salt loses its saltiness, you're worthless. If you lose your saltiness and you compromise, you're not good for anything anymore. Now, does he mean you're not loved by God? In relationship to God, we're loved. But in relationship to the world, we are servants. And if you cease to reflect Christ in any relationship, you cease to be of any good to those people. Wow, that was pretty hard, huh? I didn't say it, Jesus said it. If you lose your saltiness, you're not good anymore. You, you don't, you're, not, you're, not, you're not helping anyone because you're only here to be salt and salt does no good if it loses its saltiness and salt does no good if it's not touching the meat. Salt pushes back decay. And Jesus says you're the light of the world and he's the light of the world. And he says that you don't put a lamp under a bed, you put it on a nightstand so it shines. Light does no good if you're hiding your goodness from people. If you're not in relationship to them and you're not living among them, this is the call to holiness. To be holy among them. To live among them. It's a call to go into the world and as Jesus said, not be of the world but be in the world. Do you know Jesus is the one who came up with that phrase, right? He said in John 17, Father, I am asking you, not that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. What is he saying? God, and he actually goes on, he says, Father, sanctify them. Make them holy. That's what the word sanctify means in John 17. Sanctify them. Sanctify them. Father, make them holy. Make them holy. Make them separate from the world. But Father, I'm asking you not that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, that you sanctify them. That's what I'm asking you for, Father. For I have sent them into the world. That's what he says. You are sent ones, citizens of heaven, pilgrims, sojourners, sent into the world to be holy sent ones, to be ones that go into the world and live, be holiness in the midst of things that are not holiness. Holiness has to do with you being like him. So why does Paul say that then in in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 about being separate? In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. He's talking about coming into contractual relationships or covenantal relationships with people who are not believers. He's talking about you coming into business with somebody who's not a believer or you marrying somebody who's not a believer. He's warning us because what happens their decisions begin to influence us and affect us and pull us in different directions. Just imagine, you you're, you're, uh, you're, you're ha- own a business with a non-believer. If they're noble-hearted, that we're good to go. But what happens if they want to do something that lacks integrity? Not only does that put you on a morally shaky ground, but now also it may put you on criminally, on a shaky ground in terms of... What, okay, I said that wrong, but you get it. That's what Paul's talking about. When he says things like what partnership, what partnership has a believer with an unbeliever, he's talking about literally partnership, where I yoke my life, I unite my life with somebody who does not have the values of Christ. That is dangerous. 
and will often lead to compromise. These are the kinds of things that we need to understand are part of abstaining from fleshly lusts at war against our soul. We do, in many ways, as believers, need to be very careful with who we allow to influence us. And when you have an employer who's influencing you because you're serving that employer, you have to be very careful. What happens if your employer asks you to do something that lacks integrity? Do you do it? No. What happens when it's a business partner? Like I said, Paul's just saying, hey, don't come into partnership with them. But let's say you are. Like you're, yeah, well, you know, maybe you're, you're married and this person used to be a Christ follower and now they're not. You don't divorce them. Scriptures say you, you remain married. But what do you do? Now, now there's this tension, isn't there? We have to understand that holiness is about us influencing, not being influenced. Holiness has to do with receiving influence from God, fearing the Lord and choosing and desiring to please God in such a way that I influence those around me with His holiness. Now, I know someone's thinking, but no, we're not supposed to be like holier than thou and like judge people and all that kind of stuff and like act like we're better. Well, forgive me, duh. It's a good point, but if you're judging people, you are not like who? Jesus, right? Obviously, but so often holiness gets tacked with this idea of I'm better, I'm judging you, I'm comparing, I'm holier than thou. Well, if you're doing that, you're not spiritual, you're something else. Like, you're not being like Jesus, right? So my point is that things like judgmental, prideful people, that's not holiness. It makes sense, right? Look at, um, look with me in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, this is just a good example of holiness. Colossians chapter 3, Paul says to the believers in verse 5, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetedness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with its deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge, according to the image of him who created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Verse 12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. Put above, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And so he goes on. Did you see how Paul does that? Paul will say what to say no to and what to say yes to. Do you see that? The whole point of saying no to certain things is so that we would say yes to other things and embrace the character of Christ in our life. Of course, he says, stop judging each other. Stop speaking maliciously against one another. Having revenge in your heart. Blasphemy. Putting other people down. Speaking filthy language out of your mouth. In Ephesians chapter 5, he says, there should be no coarse joking among you, which means Talk, joking about sex and things like that. There should be no filthy language coming out of your mouth. Do you see? He's saying that you should talk differently. We, as Christ followers, should have thankfulness and honor and blessing coming out of our mouth. 
Holiness means to say no to gossip, no to dishonoring and speaking evil of anyone. And yet, he says, but now you put on humility. You put on kindness. You put on meekness. Think about the Beatitudes. Think about the Sermon on the Mount. Does Jesus only say what not to do? No, he goes all the way. He doesn't say, don't hate your enemies. He says, love your enemies. Yes? Pray for them. Bless them. Greet them. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, don't lie. He says, keep your promises. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's holiness because it reflects the character of Christ. God can't lie. So when we live as a people who keep, let our yes be yes and our no be no, and we walk in faithfulness, people will see a reflection of who he is. Amen? This is what it means to be holy among them. That when you're at work, you're there on time because you said you would. You work hard. You serve others. You honor your boss. What do you do when, when the, the ladies maybe are gossiping about somebody in the office? Do you join in? No. But it's more than being known for someone who doesn't gossip. It would be nice for somebody to say, yeah, you know that, that girl? She doesn't gossip. I've noticed that. But Jesus is saying, you speak words of honor. You become a peacemaker. And so the ladies in the workplace, they begin to say, you know that? I've never heard her speak evil. I only hear her speak honor. What do you do when you're a man and another man is making a sexual joke or a racist joke? Do you laugh? No. No. Do you look when another guy's looking at a girl in a lustful way? No. See, because we fear uncomfortability or judgment, because we fear man, people will compromise. We need to abstain from fleshly lust. We need to say no to those things. We need to throw those things off, like wrath and anger and, and all these things that we were just showing. But we need to put on things, humility and love, be people who speak honor. And do you see what happens? Going back to 1 Peter, this is the point that Peter's trying to make. Peter says, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God on the day he visits us. Do you, do you see what just happens? When you choose to walk in holiness, you become morally different. You become separate in the sense that your words and your character and your lifestyle are different and people will speak evil of you. That's a guarantee. People will misinterpret it and misunderstand. Now, if you as a Christian are being, or if somebody says to you as a Christian, you're a hypocrite, and it's because you are, you need to repent. Does, I mean, does that make sense? If you don't keep your promises, or if you're gossiping, then you need to repent. And actually, our repentance is actually a great way to show people what Christ is like. By confessing our sin and repenting. If you have been a person who has not walked in holiness in, let's say, your workplace or among your neighbors, you just, you change. When I was a new, when, you know, um, I came to the Lord when I was 16, and, and people thought of me as a Christian, you know, I, I, but I was not. 
Okay, I, I was not born again. So when I was 16, I came to the Lord. I was born again. And I gave my life to Jesus. And I said to my friends, guys, I can't do that stuff anymore. I can't, I can't get drunk like that anymore. I can't look at that stuff anymore. And it was weird. Does that make sense? That was weird. It was like, what's wrong with you? But over, over the course of a number of, of months, they began to respect me. I have never found that if I'll walk in humility and purity, I've never found, well, let me say it the other way, I've always found that people will end up respecting me because they see the sincerity in my heart. But a lot of times, people will think there's something wrong with you. They'll say, man, that's just weird. They'll think you're foolish. They will accuse you of doing things that are wrong. Sometimes people will literally try to attack you. This won't happen all the time. But some people will literally try to accuse you for simply walking in holiness. And they'll accuse you of being holier than thou or judgmental or prideful when you're not. Now, if you are, like I said, repent. But they'll accuse you of that. But watch what they're doing. They'll, it says that they will observe your good works. That implies a long period of time, yes? That implies friendship, and I'll show you more about that later. That implies you are living among them, working among them, living in your neighborhood among them, living among your family who may not be Christ followers. You're living your life day in, day out, working hard, serving, blessing people, praying for them, keeping your promises, walking in holiness, and over time, they begin to say, that guy or that girl, they're the real deal. They begin to no longer have a basis for their accusations. And they begin to actually honor, and the ultimate goal is this. Peter says the ultimate goal is that by the time Jesus comes back, on the day God visits us, they'll glorify God. They'll say, yeah, that person was right. You know, this is what happens. This is, this is what it means to be a martyr. In relation to God, we're the beloved. But in relation to the world, we're martyrs. We are called to lay our life down and to live for others, not ourselves. And this is the power of a martyr who says, you can kill me, but still remain faithful to Jesus. And you can persecute me, but I'm going to keep blessing you. One of my great heroes, some of my greatest heroes come from, from fiction literature. Some of them come from real biographies, real people. But any of you have ever read Uncle Tom's Cabin? It's an amazing story about genuine Christianity. And there's a man, a black slave in the South, who is treated uh, very wrong. And yet, he is the greatest picture I have ever seen, except for real life pictures too, of a Christ follower. Uncle Tom, he genuinely believes the word with just childlike faith, with very little education, very little ability to read, though he does read. And he's placed in a plantation where this man anti-God, out to destroy his faith. Because the man had plunged himself in so much uh, sin he was running from God, basically, with tremendous fear. And this plantation owner ha had it out to just destroy the faith of anyone. And he did it for everyone. 
except for Tom. And he had Tom beaten, and he had, and they just discouraged Tom. And for a time, he was despondent, and he stopped reading his Bible. Now, what happens when that happens? When we stop shining as a light, we cease to be hope, right? And all the other slaves say, you'll see, you'll be just like us. And Tom started slipping into that. But the Lord came to him, kind of in the narrative, the person just describes the Lord just coming and ministering to him through the word like he would minister to any of us. And Tom started realizing, man, again, he started realizing again, I have a home. there's There's a home for me. I'm on my way to eternity. And he began to realize again who he was as, as bought by the blood of Jesus and why he was there. And he chose, no matter what would happen, no matter how they would beat him, how they would treat him, he chose to do the right thing. He chose not to become someone who would steal, but rather he would share. He would help even after long hours of working in the cotton fields, which was literally, they would, they would work people to death. They would work them to death. And he would just come alongside and help people and share his load in their basket. And at night, all they got was a little bit of grain that they could grind up and eat. And he would help them. He'd be the last one. And he'd be there encouraging, sharing the word, having Bible studies. And all along, getting beaten. And basically, the way the story goes, he would not... uh, He would not... He wouldn't give up, a, 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 a lady, two girls ran away, and he wouldn't say anything. He was always honorable to his master, but he wouldn't say anything, and they, he literally beat him to death. There, there's something about that that has to grip us. He chose to walk in holiness no matter what the cost. He chose to walk in love no matter what the cost. He chose to be a light no matter what the cost. See, that's, that's, that, that martyrdom spirit where we honor that hero of faith that says, man, they kept the faith. Kept the faith. Not, not ho-hum, I'm going to die for Jesus. Does it make sense? No. Like, I'm going to shine as a light no matter what the cost, no matter if I lose my job or, you know, no matter if I'm going to be beaten to death. I'm going to do what Jesus has called me to do. No matter what my government does, no matter what my boss does, no matter what. Now, many of us have never had to face that kind of decision, but it's that kind of heart that we need. That pilgrim, that sojourner kind of attitude that says, this is not my home, but I am called to be a sacrifice for others. Listen, the motivation for holiness isn't just for me. See, I'm going to always preach to you and convince you to walk in holiness because God's blessing is on holiness. You walk in his ways, he will bless you. But you know, that's not the only motivation for holiness. And I definitely don't think it's the greatest motivation. Holiness is so others can be blessed. When you walk in holiness, they see who Christ is. That is a greater motivation. Yes, walk in holiness for your sake. But think about it this way. Your children will do what you do not what you say. Holiness is about you modeling the character of Christ and they will be so drawn to Jesus because you are salt in their life. It's the same thing with those in your workplace or your family members or your friends. I remember one time my sister and I were driving in the car. I was probably a Christian 
for a couple years. And she said, you're just different. You seem to love. You just, you're just loving. Now, I got a lot of issues. So that was a really gracious statement on my sister's part. But my point is, there was something that had changed in the way I was treating her or serving her. Some attitude that she could see something in me. You've heard me say before, people should look at us and say, you remind me of somebody. Right? You remind, remind me of somebody. Remind me of Jesus. We are His body, amen? We are the reflection of Him on the earth. Many people, they can't see Him. I, I hope they'd read the Bible and see Jesus in the Bible and get saved because they read the Bible. But most of the time, they won't. They will see Jesus when they read the Bible that's coming out of your life. Yeah? Now, by the way, with kids, I'm not suggesting that means that we should just throw our kids uh, into certain environments. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, neither, I'm neither for or against like public school. But sometimes we as parents, we have to wrestle with this on a whole nother level. The reason why is because it's about influence. It's about influence. I'll give you this one. If a Christian comes to me and says, uh, I'm sorry, new, okay, so a new Christian comes to me. Let me just tell you real quick some of the ways that I might apply this. New Christian comes to me, Dave, man, I just came to Jesus. Man, you, you got it. Man, I used to give myself to all this stuff. I used to live in sexual morality and... Um, you know, and I had these, you know, boyfriends or girlfriends or whatever. You know, I had, I, 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 and I would go to the bar. I would do all this stuff, you know. And they're telling me their testimony. What, what, what are we going to say? Oh, man, praise God. You've been forgiven. You're so forgiven. You're the rice of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. The Lord has delivered you from that stuff. Amen? And then we're going to begin to disciple them and help them to walk in holiness. We're going to say no to that impure relationship, aren't we? We're going to say we're going to say, you know, so I, I was just thinking maybe I should date this person. We're going to say as pastors, no, that's unwise, right? We're going to say, no, you need to, to get pure and you need to not date those people that are going to draw you away from the Lord. You need to walk in purity because the Lord has something better for you, right? That's holiness. Holiness is going to bring blessing. You walk in holiness, you wait till you're married, you find a, a godly man or woman who's going to walk in God's ways. We're going to, right, we're going to begin to counsel this way. Somebody says to me, I just really struggle with alcohol. I've gotten saved now. And some of my friends, they want to know if I'll go with them to the bar. Should I go? What am I going to say? First, I'm going to ask them a question, but I will generally tell you what I'm going to say. No. No. But mostly what I'm going to ask them is, why do you want to go? What's going on in your own heart? Okay. But now you come to me, and you've been a Christ follower, same person. Let's say the same person, been a Christ follower for a while. And they come to me, and they're walking in holiness and purity, and they say, some friends of mine want me to go to the bar with them. Do I go? And I would say, duh, go. Now, why is it that I would give advice, this different advice to two different people? Are there two different standards? Are we talking about like hypocritical Christianity or something like that? No, it has nothing to do with that. Make sense? It has to do with who's influencing who. That's a key Thing. When you're trying to sort out in your own life, how do I respond in this situation? Now, you're going to have to sort it out in your own thing. But like I said earlier, like, do I laugh at the joke? 
Do I go to the bar? Do I look at that thing? Do I watch that movie? We need to ask the question, am I reflecting the character of Christ? But holiness is never relational separation, just moral separation. Maybe you go to the bar and you drink a Coke. And you say, well, that's kind of weird. And maybe that's what's the most loving thing to do. Maybe you have a beer, but you definitely don't get drunk, right? Because the scriptures call us not to get drunk. So you have to sort these kinds of things out. The reality is you will look different. You will look different and you'll talk different. But, like I said, they'll be drawn to Jesus through that. Now let me just give you one more principle as you think through how to do this. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So Paul says... First Corinthians nine. I'm not going to go through. I'm going to just kind of bust through this. He says in verse nineteen, chapter nine, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all. A servant to all. Paul is saying, and he's going to explain. I have this freedom. I'm free from sin. I'm free from law. I'm free from the control of man. I'm free from religion. I'm free from that stuff. But the problem is, oftentimes with freedom we slip into an entitlement mentality. Now, we see this has happened in our own Western culture. Freedom has now become entitlement. But it actually is not just an American phenomenon. It is a Christian temptation. Christians, because we are free from the law, right here in Corinthians, these guys were new Christians. Christianity had only been around for a few decades. They're already struggling with a temptation to use their freedom for themselves. Okay? You were a Jew and you had to live by kosher laws and now you don't have to live by kosher laws? Woohoo! Let's have some steak and milk at the same time, you know? I'm having steak and ice cream together, boys. Woohoo! I mean, I don't, I'm, I don't know how it affects them, but does it make sense? You're, you're free. It's like, oh my goodness. I mean, I can go to church every day if I want. Or, you know, I mean, you know, they don't, you know, they don't have to go to the synagogue. They, they didn't have to do all these rituals. I'm free. And what happens is, in that freedom, there's a temptation to have an entitlement mentality, that I deserve something, or that now this freedom is for me. And Paul's going to explain, though I'm free from all men, meaning, look, he means, like, they can't judge me. Okay, you might say, Dave, you said, okay, go to the bar and have the beer with the non-believer. What happens if a Christian sees me? What happens if someone thinks I'm not spiritual? I go, good. Great. What, I, what, that would be, what I mean is that's Paul saying, I'm free from all men. I, I, the, it, their, their judgment doesn't, doesn't mean anything to me in that regard. That doesn't mean I can't come up to you and say, brother, you're sinning. Don't judge me. See, that's where freedom becomes a license to sin, and freedom becomes this entitlement mentality. I can discern whether your character is good or not and judge you, the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 5, we'll go there another day. What I mean is, people take their freedom and they start using it for self. They start using it, I'm saved by grace, so I can just do whatever I want, and you can't judge me. That's not what the Bible says. Paul's going to tell us that this freedom is for a very, very specific purpose. One, the freedom is because now we're free from the law and we're righteous in Christ, we're forgiven, we're holy and blameless in His sight. Woo! But he says in relation to God, I'm forgiven, but in relation to the world, what does he say? I'm a servant of all. 
So now what do you use your freedom for? To serve people. Well, that's kind of funny, isn't it? That's definitely not how we as Americans have, are thinking lately as a culture. Well, we as Christ followers need to think this way too. Our freedom is not a cover-up for evil. Our freedom is a freedom to now love God and love people like we were created to, right? So he says, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ. That I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. This is the burning passion in his heart. He says, look, if, if, if I meet a Jewish friend, I'm going to become like a Jew. I'm not going to eat the meat and the milk. Or whatever. I'm going to wash my hands before we have food. If, I, if I'm hanging out with somebody who's without law, meaning they're a Gentile, they're a Greek, and they don't even care about those laws, he says, I'm still under the law of Christ, so I'm still going to walk in holiness and purity. Right? He's trying to say, look, I'm still going to walk in purity. But he says, they don't care about those things. I'm going to become like them. He says, I'll become like all things to all people. Why? Do you hear what he says? That I might win them and that they might be saved. What is he thinking? He's thinking of their good, their benefit, their salvation. He's thinking how I can do something to bring them closer to Christ. When he says, to the weak I become weak, he's referring to people who think that eating meat is sin, and so therefore they're vegetarians. He says, then I won't eat meat. He says that in Romans. He says, I won't eat meat then. Somebody who, do, who thinks alcohol is sin, I won't drink then. No, man, I'm free. I'm not going to let them judge me. I'm going to let them control me, man. I'm a Christian. I'm free. I can have a beer if I want. But if it's going to offend them and keep them from seeing Jesus, you don't do it. You don't use your freedom for yourself, Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I'll do whatever it takes, you know, within the realms of holiness is what he's saying, that I might, by all means, save some. Then he goes on, and he goes through chapter 10. I won't go into all this, but he he goes through chapter 10 and he says that we are to avoid things like idolatry and lust. He says in verse 6, Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted and do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. No, all these things happen. For example, Peter, Paul is saying, listen, listen, you need to walk in holiness. Say no to those fleshly desires that are selfish desires. Say no to sexual morality. He says, say no to complaining. You ever put that one in the category? Yeah. Say no to dishonoring and grumbling. Say no to tempting Christ, which means Man, if you were good, God, you'd come up and show up in my life in this way and trying to twist God's promises. He says, no. He says, that is sin, and he says no to it. And so he actually is going to tell them, look, you don't eat meat sacrificed to idols because those idols are demons. He says, those idols are demons. So he says, flee from idolatry. Listen, verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. That's me coming and saying to somebody who has a temptation like with alcohol, flee it. You talk to some men who struggle with impurity, I say, run away from those movies. Not just pornography, like stop watching those shows. So I'm saying that's the call to holiness. Run away, get away from that stuff. 
because you're separating yourself from the sin. But when we talk about people who don't know Jesus, Paul's not talking about separating yourself from the people of the world. Because he goes on and he says this. Verse 23, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. What is he saying? He says, yeah, you're free, but only choose those things which are going to edify and build you up and other people. Verse 24, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Did you hear that? There's his bottom line. Let each one seek the other's well-being. The other's well-being. Did you see that? The other's well-being. God wants us to be a people who are other-focused. That's what love is, putting others first. And he says, whatever you do, make your decision on what's better for the other. Okay? So he says, eat whatever's sold in the marketplace, asking no questions for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He's talking to people who are struggling with, they make sacrifices to idols and then they go sell the meat in the marketplace. Now that happens today in some other cultures, but for us it's not a struggle. But he's saying, look, don't even worry about it. It's just meat. He says, if you're eating the meat because you think it's going to get you favor with a god, which is a demon, don't do it. But he says, dude, it's just meat. Don't worry about it. And he says this. Listen, this is the, the one I love. Verse 27. If any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you. Now, see, he's talking about being a people who live among those who are not Christ followers, living in their world, loving them, serving them, having dinner with them, right? And he says, go, eat with them, sit down with them, enjoy a meal with them, and don't, if the food is sacrificed to idols, don't even ask. Now, that might, we might not struggle with that, but we struggle with some other issues. Don't worry about it, just love them. But this is what he says, <clears throat> But, verse 28, if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, don't eat it. Don't eat it. Well, why? What, now am I supposed to be in bondage to them? No. He says you don't eat it for the sake, verse 28, for the sake of the one who told you. Did you hear that? For the sake of the one who told you. This is the point that he's getting at. Paul talks about this in Romans and Corinthians. This is the point, always the point. You and I are to put the needs of others before ourselves, And so he says, and I love this way he ends in verse 31 to 33. This is the point. You ready? Therefore, whatever you eat or drink and whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Amen, brother. Amen. Glory of God. Hallelujah. But a lot of times that has meant, I'm going to please God and I don't care about these people. But listen to what he says is the glory of God. He says, whatever you do, you do to the glory of God. Verse 32, give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. What does it mean for you and I to live to the glory of God? It means you serve others. When you say, I'm not living for myself anymore, but I'm going to live for the glory of God. So whatever I eat, whatever I drink, whatever I say, whatever I do, whatever I think, I'm going to do it for the glory of God. It's not inviting you to personal, privatized, individualistic, moral holiness. And it's inviting you to be such a person that lives like Jesus, talks like Jesus, thinks like Jesus, loves like Jesus, walks in pureness, purity, holiness, truth, honesty, 
in such a way that you are in their world and you're making decisions about what's best for them. That's how we need to live, amen? That's how a Christ follower lives. I'm already loved, I'm already provided for by God, so in relationship to my wife, in relationship to my kids, in relationship to neighbors, friends, coworkers, people who are not believers, I'm to think what's best for them. So will I drink a beer or will I not drink a beer? That's the question some of you might have. Do I laugh at the joke? Do I not laugh at the joke? How do I live in this tension? Do I have relationship with these people? Do I not have relationship with these people? The question is, <clears throat> what do they need? The question is, what will best, most bring glory to God? And what will cause them to come closer to Jesus? If you're not in their life, if you separate yourself relationally, just because you're uncomfortable or because you think you're better or whatever, you are now separating yourself, that you're separating their opportunity from knowing Jesus. If you compromise, you're separating their chance to know Jesus. We have to choose to embrace holiness among them. And this is the paradigm I wanted to give you. We need to be led by the Spirit, absolutely, but we need to know the Word as well, both, both and. And so what I want to empower you with, and many of you walk in this already, I want to empower you to live in this tension. I want to challenge you to step out of your comfort zone and live in that place of uncomfortability where you live in a tension, where you're holy, but you're in relationship with those who are not. And you allow the Lord to influence you so that you can influence them with his love. And you live in this tension, and when you're trying to wrestle, what decision do I make? Because all of us are, have lived, any one of you who is wanting to make disciples and yet live in a holy life, you're living in this tension. And you're saying, well, what do I do? And many people as a pastor will come and ask me, Dave, what do I, should I do this? Should I do that? Or they'll tell me later, Dave, this is the decision I made. Do you think I messed up? And I'll tell you, sometimes I think I've made the wrong decision, sometimes I've made the right decision. But I always make the decision based on this. What is loving? What will reflect Christ? What will bring Him glory by leading them closer to Him? What will model Jesus to them? So I'll make decisions. Somebody says, hey, you want to go to the bar? Of course I'll go. Why? Because I want relationship. Because that is holiness desiring to be in relation with them and to love them and to become their friend just for the sake of being their friend. Not like, I'm going to become their friend and I can manipulate them to come to Jesus. No, I don't mean that. I mean just being someone's friend that is love, yes? Then, then, then it's like, do you drink? Do you not drink? Do you drink? And D Dave Turner, be honest with you, just letting you guys know, I don't usually, I don't even like to drink. So if I actually choose to have a drink, it's it got to be love. Does it make sense? I don't like it. I'd rather, I, I don't. I'd rather have a Coke. So if I do, and listen, I have... I have chosen to have one drink at times and I've always made the decision for one reason, love. Now, if you enjoy a beer, enjoy a beer. I mean, I'm not trying to, again, don't get drunk, but fine, enjoy it. What I'm trying to say is you make the decision based on love. But if you like a beer and you know that would cause that person to stumble, you don't do it. Paul says, I'd rather never drink and never eat meat if it caused my brother or a non-believer to stumble. Romans 14. He says, I'll be a vegetarian if that's what love says to do. You hear me? I'm free. I can eat meat. But I'll choose to be a vegetarian if that's what love chooses to do. Think about it. Would you? Those of you who don't mind drinking a beer, those of you who like beer, let's say, would you say no more alcohol if that's what the most loving thing to do was? 
Some of you, I don't think, would because you're too bound up in the entitlement of your own freedom. You're not here for yourself. 